Welcome to Catch the Fire London's podcast. We pray that you will be radically transformed as you listen to this message. How are you all? Good. Well, look, we are, it's, it's quite cool that we've had so many different forms of worship today because today we are preaching on I believe in worship. So, who believes in worship? Cool. Okay, if you, the person next to you didn't put their hand up, you can feel free to just like dig them in the ribs. Um, as I called it last week, give them a bit of fivefold ministry. No, it's fine. Um, no, we're talking about I believe in worship, and um, you're going to get a bit of me and a bit of Ashley this morning um, once she's reappeared from wherever she is. Yeah, come on, Richard. Woo, Ashley. We're starting, we're starting with me, warm up act, and then Ashley will bring in the truth and the real hammer blow. But um, hey, um, yeah, come on. So, worship. Now, the thing, I think, kind of, and we're going to finish off with worship as well. And if that means that when Fire Kids finishes, they come in here and we all worship together, that is totally awesome. Uh, because I think the thing for Holy, the Holy Spirit said to me as I've been preparing um, for this is this phrase of worship unites us. And that's really what I want to start with, is, is the fact that actually there's, there's a few things that really are quite universal in our experience as Christians in our togetherness. But one, one of those things that really unites us is worship. There is a, a beautiful dynamic to worship where it doesn't, there's no kind of like pre-thing you have to achieve in order to worship him. Because it's all about him. And so it's measured by who God is, not by where we're at or who we are, what we're carrying and how we're journeying. And now there is a difference between if your worship is up here with a microphone and the guitar or on the drum kit, because there is a higher calling, and we'll get on to that in a minute, of, of how to prepare yourself to lead others into worship. But you as an individual, there is a beautiful unification of worship that means that actually it doesn't matter what you've been up to, where you've been going, who you are. All that matters is who he is. And as you come to him and worship him as an act of your heart and passion, it doesn't matter if you can sing or shout. It doesn't matter if you can rap or cry. It doesn't matter if you can do any of these things. All that matters is that it's you to him. And there is, like I said, in the worship, that dynamic of God inhabits the praises of his people. There's a pluralization there. There's a dynamic that actually also, we are meant to live lifestyles of worship, but also in addition to that, when we come together and worship, there's something incredible happens. And, you know, we should revere and carry an attitude of worship that means we do want to come with our best. We do want to come and give God the best of who we are. And that's very important. So don't mistake me. I'm not saying that do whatever you want in your life and then when it comes, just come and worship him. But actually, we should approach him. The, the word in the Greek for worship, often in the New Testament, is a word called it's a proskuneo, which literally translated is approach with the intention of kissing. And, and there's an element of that. that if, you, if you allow your imagination to run wild with that. There's an element of that that speaks into some quite amazing things when you think about approaching someone to kiss them. You prepare for that. You know, who many, how many of you have seen the movie Hitch, right? And it talks about all the different rules in a practical sense of how to approach someone to kiss them. Now, I'm not saying we have that biblical basis for approaching someone to kiss them, but there's an element where actually you're aware of yourself. You know, if I, if I go to kiss Ashley as my wife... I'm going to probably, I hope I would have the attitude of thinking, okay, is this going to be enjoyable for her or does my breath stink? 
how, what is my atmosphere right, like right now? Have I just, like, you know, if I've been, I don't know, out in the heat doing some stuff or working out or whatever, am I sweaty and should I have a shower first? Is this going to be a blessing to her and me or just to me? And there's that attitude of actually, like, I think it's, it's, it's like a silly example. When we come to worshipping God, we should be thinking it in the same way. When we're coming with the view to kiss him, is my atmosphere going to come and stink that up? Or am I going to come with an attitude that says I'm ready to worship him. And so, yes, worship is universally available and worship does some incredible things. And the first thing I want to look at with that is, is you look at the shepherds. The, the shepherds on the mountainside, the very first people who got to worship Jesus, are the shepherds. And, and I, love, I love that story from the Christmas story. It's one of my favourite parts of the Bible because it's so permissive to us. Because who were the shepherds? The shepherds were people who were viewed as ceremonially unclean because being a shepherd was a 24-7 job. And so you didn't have time to go to temple to ritually cleanse yourself. And so shepherds were unclean. To be a shepherd, and I know we kind of like glamorise it being like, well, King David was a shepherd and Jesus refers himself as a shepherd, but there's some power in that when you understand actually to be a shepherd was pretty much the lowest job you could do as an Israelite. Because it meant you didn't have time to go to temple. You often wouldn't therefore sit under a rabbi as a young boy and learn the Torah. It meant that you were out in the wilderness, dirty, unclean, ceremonially and physically. You were grafting. You were sleeping under the stars. You were fighting off bears and wolves and lions. There was a, a grittiness to being a shepherd that meant that actually for angels to appear to them, they beat them to be the first to worship at Jesus' feet is remarkable. Do you know, also shepherds, they weren't allowed to testify in court. They were one of the only groups of Israelite men who weren't allowed to testify in court because they were viewed as a blanket rule as liars and cheats. And there was this systemic, cultural, anti-shepherd mindset. And then something happens. The angels show up to them on the hillside. And it wasn't a practical, easier thing. We've got many stories of angels turning up in rooms as well. A host of angels turn up and they call these shepherds to go and worship at the feet of Jesus. And so they go. And like I said in worship, there's this amazing thing about Jesus where even as a babe in a manger and vulnerable, the presence of who he was invoked worship, invoked praise. And these shepherds turn up and they worship him. And then it says in the, in the Bible, and this is amazing, it says that they then went around the town testifying for all they'd seen and heard and done. And it doesn't say people rejected them. It doesn't say that people didn't believe them. It says people marveled at what they heard. Something happens through worship that transforms us from who we are to who God says we are. And, and it's such a beautiful picture with the shepherds. They go in to worship God as in a human sense, liars, cheats, dirty, unwelcome, unable to present themselves before a king because they're ceremonially unclean, the lowest of the low, and they're in that place. And then they step into the presence of Jesus and all they can do is worship him. And then as they step out of his presence and out of worshiping him, suddenly people are marveling at what they heard and saw. But suddenly people are believing what they're saying. Suddenly they are testifying when they're not allowed to testify in the law courts of man, in the atmosphere of heaven. They're speaking with an authority that people are sitting up and listening to. 
And, and this is what I love about worship is that God can't help himself. We have dwell, I said this on Monday night as well, we have dwell on Monday nights, which is specifically set aside as a consecrated space to worship God despite ourselves, to build an altar to him and not come in with our stuff, not come in with our need for ministry, not come in with our, I'm going to sing my Jesus, my boyfriend songs and feel better about myself. None of that stuff. We, we come in to dwell so that we can give him a pure act of praise and lift him up and lift him up and lift him up and praise him and praise him and praise him. And yet, God can't help himself because it's, he can't just lay aside parts of his nature. And so part of who God is, is he is the transformer of beings. He is redeemer, as we sung before. And so when we worship him and he shows up in the presence of our worship and we behold him, suddenly we start to change. Suddenly we start to look different. One of the most powerful things in our world is worship. Because it transforms us and our atmosphere and shifts things. One of the most remarkable miracles I've ever seen in my life happened purely through worship. We were in Kenya. It was actually around this time of year. It was my birthday. It was my birthday on Friday, everyone, by the way. So I'll be expecting you bought all your presents. And, and we'll do a secondary kind of like baskets at the end. No. Um, it was my birthday on Friday. But anyway, it was my birthday in 2011. And two things happened that day. The first thing that happened was Stu stood up. We were, we were in the bush and we had like kind of a mother's union meeting where all these wonderful ladies from all over the region came. And then Stu stood up and was like, it's Dan's birthday, so name your bride price who wants to have a daughter marrying Dan. That was embarrassing and unnecessary. But anyway, he thought it was funny. The second thing that happened was we were doing a feeding program. And so what we were doing was we would go into rural areas, we'd work with the mother's union, we'd train them. Um, I believe God believes in mercy and miracles, right? And so the mercy thing, we train them with skills of sustainability. So farming techniques, um, sewing, like micro business stuff, all that kind of thing on one hand. And on the other hand was miracles and supernatural atmosphere. And it says in James 1.27, it says, it says, true religion is this, to love the orphan and the widow out of their distress and to remain unpolluted by the world. And that is basically, if you want to understand how to do mission, that verse. Love the orphan and the widow, spiritually and physically. So what's that? Orphans and widows, in a physical sense, are the most vulnerable of the vulnerable in society, historically, full stop. They are the rejected and dejected. They are the vulnerable and left alone. And so we love those who are the most vulnerable and bring them out of their distress. And then we also remain from being polluted by the world. You do that, you're living a missional lifestyle. Anyway, we're not talking about mission, we're talking about worship. And so we're, we're there, and we're doing this feeding program, and the amount of times we've seen food multiply at feeding programs is awesome, because God shows up mercy and miracles. So doing a feeding program, and there was, you know, you're often you'd have a couple of hundred local children, more often than orphans, turn up who hadn't had a hot meal that week and probably wouldn't have for another week. So we're working on the sustainability side of things, of how to do farming and feeding programs, but then also feeding them very practically. And the amount of times that the mother's union would plan the meals and not enough food would be there because more would turn up than expected and the amount of times that God moved and multiplied food is awesome and there's more stories for that another time but what happened this day was it was baking hot and me and Chloe were just stood next to the Land Rover having a quick drink of water and then just looking around and saying look what God's doing we had a team of about 70 with us and it was just like over there someone's being fed over there some kids are being played with over there someone's being talked to over there someone's blind eyes just got healed over there this happened and this happened and it was amazing and then we sat there we're just giving praise to Jesus for what he's doing and we saw a man walk towards us with a stick 
and he was kind of like tapping around. And, and so we're like, what's going on here? And we could, you know when you can feel the spirit start to move, you're like, there's an assignment at play here. And so he's coming towards us. And so we greet him, we're like, good afternoon, sir, how are you doing? And, and he looks at us and we immediately realise two things. Number one, he is blind. Number two, the reason for his blindness is because he has no eyeballs. And so, and he introduces himself and this is a guy in his 80s called Gideon. And he has had both eyeballs removed and tear ducts removed surgically from different sicknesses and injuries as a much younger man. So he spends his life basically living off the mercy of others and those around him. And, and he comes and has a chat with us. And, um, and the first thing that happens is that Chloe is very good at Swahili and very confident with Swahili. And so his immediate assumption is that we're Kenyan, which is awesome. And so we're just chatting away. And then we're like, sir, would you like to be healed? He's like, yeah. And so we go to pray and then the Holy Spirit says, as fast as anything, just worship. So we start to worship and we start singing songs over him. And, and two things happen. Firstly, the guy starts to sing with us. And now this is supernatural. And this happened a few times in our lives. It happened um, when me and Stu were praying for a kid who was blind, deaf and mute. And he started to sing with us and then said amen at the end of the prayer and opened his eyes and saw us. And it was extraordinary. But there's... One thing that happened is supernaturally, God doesn't like his kids to miss out on a moment and an opportunity. And the lyrics of these songs, like we're singing like Hillsong, Bethel, all this kind of stuff. There's no way on earth that this 80-year-old man from the middle of Western Kenya has ever heard any of these songs. And yet he is singing them perfectly with us in a tongue that is not his natural tongue in English. He starts singing and worshipping. And we're singing songs like, I believe you're my healer. I believe you are everything. And he starts to cry. And I don't know if you caught what I said before. The man had no tear ducts. And he starts to cry. And then Stu, the analyst. Yeah, come on, Timmy. Give him glory to God. And so we're just carrying on worshipping and worshipping. And then Stu shows up. And he's like, what's going on? And we're like, amazing things are going on. Now, Stu is Mr. Mr. Analyst. And his background is as a veterinary surgeon. So he tends to go a little bit medical. And so he's like, sir, can I look at your eyes? And opens the guy's eyelids. And inside, all there is, and for those of you who are a little bit more kind of imaginative graphic people, you might find this a bit hard. But all there is is basically just like grey, dead flesh. A cavity where eyeballs used to be. And then we worship again. And then we check again. And they suddenly start to go red. Well, interesting. Blood is starting to flow vessels are starting to grow something's starting to happen and we pray again and we worship again and and we check again and something has started to grow in his eye sockets come on isn't this amazing and then and we're worshiping worshiping about an hour an hour and a half goes by and by this point we've got like about 40 of the team around us and we're just going for it and it's just like a cacophony of worship because both in the evidence of who he is, we worship and praise him and he shows up and things start to happen. But when things start to happen, what does it invoke? It invokes further praise, further worship. And we start to forget about the challenge in front of us, which is a man who has no eyeballs and is in great need and start realising that Jesus is on the move. And so, and this stuff starts to happen and then basically, the next time we open his eyes, he has these like miniature eyeballs with little pupils in, about the size of the end of your thumb in his eyes. And, okay, and that's amazing. But then the next thing that happens is hilarious because then he nearly jumps out of his seat because the first thing that happens is he started to see, which is impossible from a med- medical viewpoint, but he starts to see. And as he sees, he realises that, in fact, it is not two Kenyans stood in front of him, but it is a very painfully white and ginger man and a very painfully white and brunette clothes. And he jumps out of his seat because he had no idea up until that point that we were anything other than his experience of humanity up until that point. And he's starting to see. 
and he's starting to chat. And it's insane because he doesn't have proper eyeballs yet. His ways are above our ways. There's mysteries in heaven that we can't begin to understand. And yet God starts to use the physiological to his abilities and his power. And it's beautiful. And then he says, I have no pain in my body. We weren't even praying for pain in his body. But when God shows up, he doesn't think about the thing that we're saying. He doesn't think about his permission based on what we've prayed for so far to do things. You might be praying for someone's toe and their shoulder gets healed. Do you know why? Because God wants to heal. He's not, he's not looking for permission from your prayers. Did you know that? He doesn't need us to pray certain prayers to move. He's God. And he's really good at being God. What he wants is he loves the willingness of hearts that pray. And he loves to see people move. And so basically, <laughs> Gideon, and this is one of the bizarrest moments of my life. He literally looks at us with these tiny little weird eyeballs, which are really gross. And, and he looks at us and he goes, amen, I'm healed, and walks off. And literally, he walks off, he walks around the tree, round, and then off down the lane. Before, and we all just sort of like... What? Signs and wonders. We wonder, we sung before. Wonderful. Jesus is one, he is full of wonder. Now we did follow up with the village chief and found out that actually Gideon was still seeing and his eyeballs were slowly growing. And he ended up with full eyeballs and it's just extraordinary. All we did was worship and Jesus turned up. And you see, there's this beautiful thing we find with the shepherds, we find with that story about Gideon, we find, um, and I'm going to hand over to Ashley in a second because I've probably taken way longer than I said I would, but John Piper says this, true worship is a valuing or treasuring of God above all things. When we worship him, we are transcending our circumstance and stepping into who he is. And I'll tell you something, this last season, we've had a lot of things to distract us from who he is. We've had a lot of challenges to overcome. We've had a lot of difficulties to get through. But when we worship, those things are insignificant. When we worship, he is good. I woke up yesterday morning with just this profound level of spontaneous thankfulness coming out of my heart and and it was you know this last week I'm gonna be honest it's been a stressful week for a lot of reasons it's been a really heavy hard week and I had a wonderful birthday on Friday with Ashley and the kids and it was great but I woke up on Saturday morning and waking up recently has my first thought hasn't been thankfulness I'm gonna be honest there's been a lot of stresses a lot of reasons to struggle recently a lot of concerns and a lot of things that we've been taking to Jesus but the overwhelming, spontaneous thankfulness to just start to bubble up from my heart was just wonderful because I've been in his presence and he is transforming me as I push into him despite my things. And you look at the woman at the well, and this is where I'm going to hand over to Ashley. In John 4, there's this beautiful story of the woman at the well. And if we didn't get it from the shepherds, we get it from her. That doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, you're welcome to Jesus and to worship him and we find the story of this woman who is like she's on like husband number four who's not even her husband and she's you know she's going to the well on her own at the worst time of day possible to avoid being around people because of the shame she carries and and 
she has an encounter with Jesus and it just blows her world away because when we worship him, he encounters us and it changes who we are so that she became the witness to her town because she came, went running from that well back into town to tell them all of the things they'd seen and heard of him. And it says that the word of Jesus started to spread throughout all Samaria. Like There's this incredible thing where God, you don't, if you feel unqualified, okay, worship. If you feel unequipped, worship. If you feel unable to step into the next part of your life, worship. If you feel like challenges coming up against you and you don't understand why, worship. Because it will change everything and he will position you in who he is. It says in John 4.23, Jesus says this, he says, Soon a time is coming when on this mountain we will worship in spirit and in truth. When in ourselves we don't feel we can worship then we worship in our spirit because our spirit is always able to worship him. And in truth, it says in the Bible, the truth will set you free. And so when you stand in worship with him, you find freedom in him. I'll do that a little bit later on my notes because I'm going to get you guys to sing a song with me. But I'll finish with this. John Piper says, quoting Romans 12, as I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual service of worship. And John Piper adds this, So all of our bodily life, done in love for other and in reliance upon God, display the worth of God above all things and make us worshippers in our daily life. Thanks, babe. <laughs> Got five minutes. Let's see how that goes. <laughs> The kids will come in and they'll join in the joy. So what I love about worship is worship is giving back to God what he first gave to us. When we were first created, when we go back to looking at Adam in the Bible, in Genesis 2 verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust and of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. What happened in that moment when God first bowed down low and scooped the dust out of the ground and formed man from that dust is that he breathed life into Adam. And what I love um, to picture is actually what was that like for Adam? What was that like for his, his coming into being from being this place of just dust and coming into this place of life? And you know, God took me on a, a, a picture with him a while ago, many, many years ago, of, of Adam receiving the breath of God. And as Adam received the breath of God, the power and the life, the creativity, everything of God came into his very being and flooded through his body. It brought life into his lungs, into his his. Um, bones into his flesh, you know, just as it says in Ezekiel, when the breath comes, life comes and flesh is brought into this life again. And as Adam was this formless being, as the breath came in, the thing what he would have seen is first when he opened his eyes was he was nose to nose with God. 
It's that place of, of sincere closeness where God has come face to face with him to pour into his very being because you know when the breath of God comes, it's from mouth to mouth. We don't call the mouth to mouth in resuscitation. You know, we, we have to be that close because if not, breath just goes everywhere. It doesn't go directly in and flowing through the body. And so God literally gave the breath of life to Adam to bring him into being. And as Adam woke for his first first thing he did was to open and see the face of God before him. And then the very next thing he did was breathe out. He breathed the breath of God back in worship to God himself. That, that very breath that he took in, he breathed it back out. And so worship is this returning of the breath back to God. It's that place of breathing God in and breathing him out. It's this expression of worship that becomes so natural to us as we remember even right now as we're sitting here breathing in and out that we breathe him in and we breathe out the breath of God in worship to him. That blowing him back, the love that we breathe back to him, that is your destiny. That is part of who you are. That is part of your calling, your very makeup that we were given life for the very purpose of breathing it back to God, releasing it back to God in worship to Him. And as Dan said, that word proskeneo in the, in the Hebrew, it means to worship, to bow down low and press your face against the dust. And yay! And that is what God did. God, God pressed his face into the dust to us. He pressed his face into us and he breathed out his breath that we would breathe him in and we would have the breath of God to breathe back to him. It becomes this place of a worship being the very romance that God began in the garden of returning it back to him. And you know, Mary did this, right? We hear in Matthew, Mary, um, about her, her pouring out her great love to Jesus. She poured out, she had this beautiful alabaster jar, which was just rich and fragrant with the oil of intimacy that was by her very right, that was her future, that was her dowry, that was her, her finance and her provision for her life because she was not yet married. And, and what she did is she brought her worship to the king. She brought her love, she brought her security to him and she laid it out, she poured it out upon him and she said, she said, the world cannot offer me what you offer me. The world doesn't offer me protection. The world doesn't offer me love. It is only you. And she poured out her worship upon his feet and she washed him and she bathed him. And Jesus said, this is the most beautiful thing that you could ever do. This is the most beautiful thing that you could do for me is by pouring your intimacy out, pouring out your love upon me, pouring out... Um, just your heart of connection and your worship in this place. And Jesus knew something that was coming. He knew that his death was coming. He knew that his resurrection was coming, but he knew that his death was imminent. And what happened is Mary bathed him in this oil, this, this, in, this incented oil that was beautiful and fragrant and beautiful. And, and 
beautiful to smell, but that we know was going to be carried with him into the tomb. And we know that when you're, I don't know if any of you have had oil on you before, but it does not come off easily, right? (laughs) It stays with you. It sticks with you. You can bathe and bathe and bathe again, but it will still be there a week, two weeks down the line. It doesn't come off. And so as Jesus was bathed in this oil of intimacy, as he went to the cross, as he was whipped time and time again, every time he was whipped, the smell of that perfume would have come up to his nostrils and he would have remembered Mary. He would have breathed in her worship. He would have breathed in everything that that she had done for him and he would have remembered, I'm doing this for my Mary. I'm doing this for my people, for their love, their adoration and their closeness to me. And so we get the joy, it then says, that we can do everything, everything that we do, we do it as if it is unto the Lord. We worship with everything that we have. We love him with everything that we have. Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Worship isn't merely just singing your praise to him. It's a beautiful component of it. A beautiful component of worship is sung worship or a beautiful part of it for God is hopefully, you know, he appreciates the the people who have less talent in the singing arena. And so I like to think that my worship can be appreciated in other areas to God. But he, worship is something that should be more than just our song to him. You know, we get the privilege, as, as Dan has said and Henrietta said previously, to, to stand here in this congregation and worship him in fellowship together. But our worship is more than just that. Paul encouraged us that through all things that we do, it should be worship unto him. It should be honour unto him. It should be love unto him. That our whole life should be an act of worship, a place of sacrifice. In Matthew 22, verse 37, it says that we should do all things with love for God. We should love him with all our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength. That this is what we should do. So our worship is not just our our sung moments, but our worship is a lifestyle of dedication and love towards him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul and all of our strength. It's not just a 15 minute slot in the day that we sing to him, but it should be 24 hours a day. It should be day and night. Let the incense arise. When we're awake and when we're asleep, we should be embedded in this state of worship to him come on praise the lord we need to be we need to be activating something within ourselves that thinks it is not just this moment of of my my 15 minutes that i'm giving to you but god you deserve my everything you deserve my all you deserve everything within me and therefore i'm going to give it to you i'm going to i'm going to lay down my life and that my life be an act of worship towards you let my everything be an act of devotion to you You know, I used to have uh, a lot of self-condemnation when I first became a mom. And the reason for this is because I, before that, you know, I had all this time in the world. I, you know, I had this long commute to work where there and back I had like an hour each way of worshipping God in the car. I had a lunch break that I I could dedicate to Him. And I had all this time of this sung worship and expression and all of this. And then suddenly I was a mom 
with no time. <laughs> I was exhausted mentally, physically, emotionally, in, in every capacity. I, I, I was healing from giving birth, from having a C-section. My body was in trauma. I was severely lacking sleep, which we know is actually torture, right? It's like lack of sleep is a torture method and that is imposed upon new moms. Great. Um, but, you know, I wasn't eating right because I didn't have the time. I was, I was changing. I was, I was um, pumping. I was feeding. I was doing nappies. I was repeating that 10 times a day. And I was, I just, I didn't have time for the three hours that I, I previously had and I was I was severely saddened and broken by this. I was I was traumatized by my own concept of what worship should look like to him and what giving back my worship should look like to him. And so broken, extremely exhausted and I just crumpled before God. And I said, God, I am so sorry that I am not giving you that worship that you deserve. And like a loving father that he is, my little joys, he, he picked me up and face to face before me, he said, have you done everything that I have asked of you? Have you loved this gift of this daughter before you? Have you changed her? Have you fed her? Have you looked after her? Have you tended to her? Have you done it with joy? Have you treasured her? Have you taken care of the gift that I gave you? And so with snot and tears dripping down my face, I said, yes, God, I have. And he said, well, there you go. There is your worship to me. There is the beauty of your worship that you have poured out every second of your day to treasure the gift that I have given you and the life that I have poured into you. You have breathed back over her and you have breathed back to me in your worship. You have worshipped me when you have fed her, when you have changed her, when you have clothed her, when you have done everything for her, when you have picked her up, when you have made her happy and made her smile. You have become my living place of worship. And I want to encourage you just as Paul encourages us that worship is a lifestyle. Worship is everything that you do for him. It is everything within your body that you give to him with all your thoughts when you're thinking good godly thoughts to him as you're as you're going on inner healing journeys where you're changing your heart from being one of stone to purity, where you are choosing to act graciously towards someone. These are all acts of worship unto Him. These are places where through honouring others, honouring our fathers and mothers, when we come with obedience to Him, when He's asked us to do something, when we honour Him, even through loving the creation of yourself. I believe some of you need to know when you even honour yourself by loving yourself, when that can be hard, that is an act of worship to him. Worship comes in many forms. But through worshipping him in an act of our life, we become transformed and we break free from religious pressure, false expectations, self-condemnation and we become a living, breathing expression of worship to him. And in this, we give back what he first gave to us. Come on. There's an Eddie James song called Lana Judah that has this refrain in it that we're going to have a go at singing in a second. I'm going to teach it to you. 
But it says this, my praise is a weapon. It's a declaration. If my God is for me, then who can be against me? And, you know, if you have this mindset that doesn't say that my worship to God is that, you know, well, in our church, like an hour on a Sunday, but depending on where you go to church, how long on a Sunday, or my, my worship is the songs I sing. Or, but actually, if you have the mindset that says that my praise and worship is every time I realize that who I am, giving him glory by my actions and my choices through him as worship to his name, then you understand that who you are is a declaration, that who you are is going to shift the atmosphere around you, that who you are is an opportunity for a miracle, it's an opportunity for a breakthrough, it's an opportunity for the world to be changed. And you start to see stuff happens. If you want to see the Bible come to life in your life, then you start to understand the power of speaking of him. You know, if you want to see, like, you know, it says in, um, in Philip, when in that story in Acts, where he gets transported from the place where he has the encounter with the um, Simon the Sorcerer and then suddenly the encounter with the Ethiopian. He gets transported. If you look it up on a map, it's mad. It's like 25 miles or something. He's suddenly from one place to another. If you want to see that happen, give glory to Jesus. We've literally seen, we've, we used to travel a lot. We'd catch the fire and we'd be driving home and we'd just be, give glory, give, be giving glory about what Jesus had done. We'd be praising him. We'd be declaring what we'd been doing that weekend. And suddenly we'd have like gone to the bottom of the M1. When there's meant to be an hour left on our journey, suddenly the, the journey had been reduced. We've literally had it in Kenya as well, been transported from one village back to another. Journeys that should take three hours took 15. And, and, you know, this stuff happens when you live in an atmosphere of praise and worship, when you understand that the very thing that the devil is trying to tell you you're not good enough for, when you understand that you're good enough for it, something happens and a shift changes. Who, you know that Ashley's parenting changed in that moment. Not in the physical sense, but in the natural sense of the fact that she went from suddenly feeling condemned in the very things she was doing in act of worship to suddenly seeing the power of what was happening in her atmosphere and her dynamic. You know, we talk about the widow's might. We all have that opportunity to give to Jesus worth of who he is through who we are with the little offering we have so he can move. And so we're going to... I'm going to see if, how one of the guys want to come back and worship. But we're going to just make a declaration. So what we're going to do to finish, and we're going to do this as kind of like a bit of a mashup between pack down and, and ministry. But what I'm going to ask you to do, we're going to mess up the room for a little bit. So if you are able to, if you want to just stand up, and we're going to stack the chairs in stacks of five, we're going to get a bit of space, and we're going to activate for a minute. And so stacks of five on the chairs. Get yourself a bit of space. We're going to get a bit of movement going. Yes. We're going to keep streaming for a minute. Yeah. Um, don't worry, though. We will stop soon. So if you're worried about your worship being seen by the cameras, well, guess what? It's been seen all the time through the service. So it's too late to worry now. Oh, look, you've got another coin. Thanks, Isla. That's mine. Thank you. But we're going we're gonna to worship. So we've got... So we're going to learn that refrain. So we're going to start off with, we're going to do a little bit of call and answer. So you're going to repeat after me. So let's do this. So first line is, my praise is a weapon. Come on, Timmy got it. Let's try that again. My praise is a weapon. 
It's a declaration. If God is for me, then who can be against me? Should do that again. So my praise is a weapon. It's a declaration. If God is for me, then who can be against me? Should we say that one more time? Because I think you need to have this in your head. You need to understand and learn this so that this week when you get out on the streets and you're having a rubbish day, you can suddenly understand something. My praise is a weapon. It's a declaration. If God is for me, then who can be against me? My praise is a weapon. It's a declaration. If God is for me, then who can be against me? I say it one more time. My praise is a weapon. It's a declaration. If God is for me, then who can be against me? And so we're going to worship for a minute longer and we're going to just give him glory. But I want you to understand something. If you lodge that in your mind, you can be doing the dishes, cleaning the floor. You can be waking up in the morning. You can be going to bed at night. You can be struggling in the most struggle you've had. You can even be having the darkest thoughts of your life. But if you decide to praise him as a declaration and shift the atmosphere in your life through who he is, then you will be saved. It says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we sing songs, and the lyrics matter, because you could forget everything that me and Ashley have said today, but if you go home singing, all hail King Jesus, all hail the Saviour of the world, you're speaking a truth. You're declaring a thing. You're going to see your world turn around because you're worshipping him. And so if you can do nothing else, worship him. When you're struggling with sin, worship him. You know, the amount of people I've journeyed with pastorally who've struggled with addictions in their lives and the breakthrough moment has come that when the addiction rears its ugly head, they worship him instead and the shift happens. You could be addicted to smoking, you could be addicted to pornography, you could be addicted to shopping. The moment that thing comes in your life and says, make me your God, you say, no, no, no. My praise is a weapon. It's a declaration. If my God is for me, then who can stand against me? And then the idols and the things that were trying to rob and destroy in your life start to be destroyed in your life. Because when they come at you, the Spirit of God is going to come against them. And so we need to understand that when the world comes at us, if we make a stance and say, Jesus is good, then the very thing that would try to attack us gets to destroy. And the destroyer gets destroyed. It says, resist the enemy and he will flee from you. It says that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. And I think sometimes we just need to pray a thing. We need to sing a thing. We need to see his truth come so that our praise is a weapon. So that it is a declaration. So that when we ask the question, if my God is for me, who can stand against me? We see the evidence in the living of the reason that nothing can stand against the kingdom of God. Because it is unstoppable. It is unbeatable. It is uncontainable. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be pulled down. But it builds up. It establishes. It redeems. It overcomes. Because the cross is enough. Jesus did it all at the cross. And we are set free. So it doesn't matter if you feel broken. He will heal you. It doesn't matter if you feel destroyed. He will build you back up again because He is good and He is God. And when He stands for you, no thing can stand against you. It's a rhetorical question. We, it's not that we just haven't found yet a thing that can stand against. It's that there is nothing that can stand against us. So let's worship Him.